Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode... Uh, Like a few other episodes I've done, we're having a round two with Tom Rolfs, principal trumpet of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. I met with Tom in August of 2019, and we did an episode together. Uh, I visited Tanglewood while they were out of their summer home. And um, I think in a second, I'll have you kind of talk about why you were on steroids, because I know that there's like a conclusion to the story now as as then. But he was in the middle of... um, You'll just talk about it. But he's in the middle of a thing that caused him to be on steroids and he was a little hopped up and a little excited. (laughs) And he listened to the interview and felt like, although it was great conversation, that he just would redo it. And uh, I am actually, I've waited to, to say now how touched I am that you offered to fly down to Birmingham. We're doing this in my studio. Uh, How touched I am that you were willing to come all the way here and uh, you know, offer to, to fly instead of me having to figure out how to come up there. It just means a lot that you would say, I'll come do this for well, you. It's all because Ann, wanted, Ann and I wanted to try Alabama barbecue. Oh. And you, I just you, happened you thought to, it was for you, but no, no, it's uh, the just, barbecue is the pole. <laughs> I just happened to be here. <laughs> you just happened to be here. <laughs> uh, but I think that's wonderful. And it's a testament to, um, I think it's just a testament to just the kind of character you have. It's something I admire about you very much, actually. I don't think I've ever told you that, but... Anyway, I think we should just start with first saying I appreciate you being here, and it's a, it's an honor to welcome you into my home and to be able to spend this time with you. So thank you for being here. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm, I'm uh, already having fun here in, in uh, Birmingham. Yeah, they did all the touristy things that I've this morning. A couple touristy things uh, before coffee. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, why don't we just dive in with that? Uh, I don't know if it was an injury or just like oh, the health it was, related. Uh, in the so the the. The Tanglewood season started with I played a, uh, I played a concerto with the the, the uh, Tanglewood Music Center Orchestra, the fellows, the Tanglewood students, and um, with Andres conducting, and then uh, it was a it was a commission. It was just pretty. It was pretty, for me. It's very it was very difficult. You know, it's just kind of out of my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm very comfortable sitting in the back of the orchestra, and but this was. Um, and I think my my wife thinks that I was like uh, not taking care of myself, and I was, you know, dehydrated. I wasn't eating well, and I was it was hot, and you know. So even though the concerto went well, then right after that, I played we played Mahler Five the same weekend, and then, I you know I was um, actually we had, they had to have an EM. I was so dehydrated and overheated, and EMT had to come help me get off stage. Wow! Did I didn't tell you? I don't that? think no. I knew that. No. Yeah, it was really it was really weird. It was like one of those times you think, hey, am I? Am I getting old? I, you know, like, <laughs> wait a minute here. So then, and then, so, so like, like, like the, the, the summer started like with this really difficult concerto, the hardest thing I've ever played. Then it was Mahler five. And then the next week was, was, uh, uh, Quiet City and Colpin three on Friday night. And then Saturday was, or Sunday concert was Petrushka and Gershwin piano concerto. And during that concert, I um, started losing hearing in one of my ears. And at first I thought it was a head cold, um, but I was very disoriented and almost kind of like unstable with my balance, which honestly the week before with Mahler 5, I was I was unstable as well. But um, so 
I thought I was a head coach, and, and so then I, I, then I, then I kept like just practicing and playing. And then Tuesday morning, I, we had a rehearsal, and I, I played for 20 minutes, and I pulled myself out, and the BSL got me a job or got me a, an appointment with an ear doctor near Tangwood, and it turned out to be this. I, I always forget the name of it. It's basically, it's a, a, like a you know neural something. It's hearing loss. It's supposedly caused by a virus, um, and the treatment is an immediate mega dose of prednisone like steroids mm-hmm. so like 60 milligrams a day which is a pretty enormous dose so um and then uh and then i was to not play the trumpet not teach not be around loud noises wear earplugs all the time while my ear was healing and my hearing did come back and it was in the right ear um and l- later i was told only 20 percent of the people that have this malady actually get a reach, full return from their hearing, which was kind of, so I feel really fortunate. So actually. you're one of the 20%. Yeah. But wow. I was on that, that, that doses, the dose of prednisone for like six weeks and, um, my kids wouldn't, I wouldn't let me dry. I could, you know, I, I was really out of it. So that's when we did the interview Yeah, and I sounded like a lunatic. Well, it's so funny because I didn't, we had a great time. Yeah, I didn't feel like the it was two of us had a great time, but, <laughs> but then I had my, my buddy in the uh, principal trombone, Toby, I said, Toby, can you please listen to this? And he listened. He said, Oh, Tom, you have to do the first half hour. Over. Yeah. I just you, didn't, you have, you know, <laughs> I didn't you know. feel like it was that far outside of what our normal conversation well, yeah, was. It's so yeah, funny. You may be right. Yeah. And, then, and then I, then one night I woke up in the middle of the night cause I, I was like, was did I drop in like f bombs and stuff? You did you know? drop one f. Yeah, like I was wake. I woke up in the middle of like my mom's my my mom might listen to this. But it was in a pretty intense context, it so was, I feel like it was. It would have not. It, yeah, been, it would have been understandable. But it was okay if if just you and I are talking, but yeah, maybe yeah. not okay for the world to hear. Yeah, yeah. And then he said he pointed out some stories of of people that maybe they wouldn't appreciate that I. Yeah. Put out there, like like I'm like my boss, for instance. Yeah, true, know? true. Like he, you know, Tom, that's that's a really sweet story, but you know, he might not want that out yeah. there. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's because it, I remember I didn't even know, and then Michael Harper, he was the uh, trumpet player right. in Jacksonville, right. he was up there, and he yeah, was yeah. telling me that you would take in the summer off of teaching, off of playing, and yeah. everything, yeah. and that um, when yeah. I asked you about it, you were not super happy that you, especially the well, teaching I, part. I, I thought, I thought, I, I honestly thought. You know, in the trumpet section, like we have a pretty good relationship, and so like we're always joking about the, you know, the um, the pending Rolf's retirement. Any day now, Rolf's is going to retire. You know, like you know, the guys will say, "Can you please retire? We're so tired of you." Like, or like I think I told you last time, like like in the rehearsal, like I forget a pencil off stage, I'll sneak up quickly, you know, to grab a pencil off stage, and I'll come back, and Mike Martin's sitting in the first trumpet chair, like (laughs) ready, ready, like so, so. But then when this hearing thing happened, I thought. Wait a minute! I, I wasn't serious. I was just kidding that I wanted to, re- you know, like, yeah. and I was kind of, yeah, I wasn't real happy about because um, I realized I really like playing, and you know, and, and well, I remember actually this, the way you told the story was pretty impactful that time where you said, you know, if it's time for me to go, we'll get a bottle of something nice yeah, and yeah. sit around and tell stories of yeah, a great career, right. and then when you thought. It was, was actually going to happen. You realize like, you were not minute, okay. Wait a minute. I actually, I don't want to do this yet. Yeah. So I don't know when that day comes because I'm certainly at that age where you, you know, it's on your mind and you're trying to, you're trying to plan out some sort of, you know, d- dignified exit plan. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so I try to keep, uh, you know, I try to keep communication with, you know, the, the you know, the music director and the executive director. And of course the, the, my friends that sit around me, but you sure. know, 
you know, it's, yeah, no one really knows how to handle that well. Um, Until you're like in the actual space of feeling yeah, like you so, might happen. Yeah, so yeah. I hope I'm, I, I hope I can be, you know, dignified about it. And, I'm sure. But I'm not there yet. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I yeah, know. You tell yeah. me every time we yeah. get together. And you're not, you're, you're, you, yeah, I'm not going to retire. You can't be looking at my job yet. Every right? time yeah. we get together. Don't even think about it. Like yeah. if Tom and I have a three minute conversation, you telling me not yep. to come I after always, your job. It works. I always its way. tell the young, talented guys, <laughs> I'm not retiring yet. So don't get your hopes up. So I, I have a question that I did not ask last time. And I just thought of it right now. Um, and so I have to preface this question by saying I do feel like I would consider you to be one of, um, I would say the most dynamic principal trumpets. You know, I, I feel like, you know, technique and stuff aside, which there's that funny thing I would, where I, I feel like you sound like you're going to miss every note. Oh yeah, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good, that was a good story. Um, but I would consider you to be, especially in terms of musical commitment, just so dynamic. And it's really amazing to me uh, to emulate uh, that commitment. Not necessarily, you know, maybe we have our different interpretations of what it should be, but we can all and should emulate that amount of commitment towards right. playing what we want. So I have to tell you that really nice compliment so that when I ask this next question, it doesn't come across as me questioning your ability. But do you notice like things changing as you age in your ability to play the trumpet? Well, at the risk of sounding like a, uh, um, you know, like when, you, when, when you're younger and you talk to an old guy yeah. and he says, I think I'm playing better than I've ever played in my life. And you're looking at him going, ooh, that's, ooh. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. but I do feel like I am playing well. Um, you know, and I'm wondering if it's like like that whole I'll be really curious how my generation of trumpet players, how the career uh, lasts out because we studied with like Chickowitz and mm -hmm. Jacobs and all, you know, because I do think a lot of it is like the elasticity, keeping a flexible breathing system and um, sort of like a things, healthy approach. Things yeah. are most certainly not harder. Now, you know, maybe I should say, you know what, it it. Trumpet feels easier to me. It doesn't mean I'm sounding better. I'll leave that for other people to to decide. But yeah. trumpet seems easier to me, you know. Because I've read, you know, maybe it's a quote I think I saw from Bud somewhere in the deep, dark internet, you know, corners of how he was saying, well, it takes longer as I age to get things going or things feel... Yeah, it doesn't. That's not, it I takes that's, less. It takes awesome. less for me to get ready in the morning. I feel like I'm, you know, day to day you know, that it's pretty consistent. So you, would you even go as far to say you feel like you're improving even after all? Oh, I, I like to think that I'm improving because yeah, like if I'm not improving, then, I, then I, I'm pretty sure that's, that, that's a really true ad, old adage, you know, if you're not, I really believe it. If you're, if you're not improving, you're getting worse because you never stay the same. Yeah, because you know? I'm just interested in this idea right now in general, this where we put sort of winning a job as the thing we care about, right? Yeah. And then when you win a job, then you think, well, all of my efforts were to win this job. Yeah. And then I won it, so yeah. now what do I do? And right. I think if you're invested in yourself improving, then you that process doesn't stop just yeah. because you happen to win a job, you know? And so right. I think you're sort of a testament to the idea of I'm just going to yeah. constantly improve rather than like I'm principal of the BSO, I made it, I just got to like sort yeah. of coast, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, and, and like you, do, you, you, see, you have to set yourself up for things that maybe you're uncomfortable with. And so the first one was like four or five years or six, what I can't remember, a hand, handful of years ago with Hoken, we played the, what is the turnage piece? It was for two trumpets. Um, it's part of Blood on the Floor, but there's a, Anyway, and like when I saw that part, you know, when I started working on it, like, you know, in the winter, I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm in way over my head here. I, there's no way 
I'm going to ever be. And I'm going to stand, I'm standing in front of an orchestra with Hulk and Hardenberger <laughs> and, you know, and Andres Nelson. So it's like, you know, this is, this is going to be a disaster and this will be, and I really was thinking this, you know, like. Did you ever think of like not doing it? Absolutely. I, yeah. You know, um, but then, you know, and then, and then, uh, and then I'm sitting in the practice room and that's if you practicing. And then our harp player, she, she has a, a room next door and she's younger. She's like your age, you know, may, maybe a little older than you, Ryan. And, um, she, she knocks on the door and says, what on, what on earth are you doing in here? And I said, I'm practicing a concerto, you know, leave me alone. And she said, what is, let me look. And she looked at it and she sang it, sight readed with the right rhythm. I said, I'm practicing and I, I, I don't understand the rhythms and I can't hear the pitches. And then she picked up the music and sight sang it. Wow. And I'm thinking, I'm retiring. You know? <laughs> you know, this yeah, is, that's like another yeah, level of... That's like another level. I just can't. But at any rate, it ended up being one of the most wonderful experiences, you know. And and it was a really... Um, it was really a meaningful piece of music to me because... At first, I didn't like it, but the more and more I played it, like it turns. Mark he writes like he can write a little kind of dark music, mm -hmm. you know, and this is dark music. And so, I found you know that, and we you know that my my oldest son passed away. So, this was I guess this must have been shortly after that. So it must have been like 2015 or 16 or something like that. And um, so, I wrote Mark an email and just said, I just want you to know that this was very therapeutic for me. This really helped me with my grief and, and, um, it meant a lot to me and thank you so much for writing it. And thank you so much for just being out there, you know, creating music like this so I can use this for my own personal growth and my own, you know, personal healing. And he said, that's, then he wrote back and he said, that's so crazy. You should say that because, you know, I don't, I don't tell anybody this, but I wrote this music when my brother died. You know, like, so there's some, there's some thread that connected all that, that, you know, and that's why, that's why, you know, I realize now that music is my safe place and music is what, how I, how I, um, communicate and how I, you know, with, after losing Ben, how I heal. So do you feel like that comes as a performer or do you feel like just music listening to it does that? Um, that's a really good question. I, like being a part I, of the creative I, I, process. I, I enjoy performing more than listening. Yeah. Um, um, I, I've, yeah, I, I, I guess I do. I perform, I enjoy performing and I enjoy sharing. I, I enjoy concerts. I enjoy the moment with, you know, my friends on the stage and a really great conductor and the, and the audience and I, the whole, the whole, the whole tradition of an orchestra performance is like, you know, you have the, it, there's a possibility that a great moment will happen where everyone is, and it doesn't happen all the time, but like with the, someone really, really great, like Yo-Yo Ma, it happens more often than sure. it would with me, for instance, you know, like you, it just, you know, the, the possibility of a wonderful moment happening is, is there. Cause I've been thinking about this a lot for reasons that, you know, um, that I, uh, I just play pretty close to the chest right now, but I've really started to question whether I feel joy playing yeah. in an orchestra. I really enjoy playing the trumpet, right? Yeah. I enjoy the act of, I, to me, the, the, the challenge of trying to play at my highest level 
brings me a lot of joy, that challenge, right? Yeah, like, yeah. can I focus at that level? Can I, can I, can I do it? And then also the, the piece where you said playing with your friends, that's something I've always enjoyed about playing music. And I'm reading this book called The Second Mountain right now, and it talks about levels of joy. And the first level of joy is this physical joy, like people who enjoy shooting hoops, right? Yeah. That's a, a, a form of joy. And then playing basketball with other people also is like the next level of joy, doing what you love, but doing it with other people. And so I find doing this with other people brings me joy, the actual act of playing the trumpet, but specifically in an orchestra, I don't know if I feel connected to the music and talking to you, I would love for you to tell the story about Mahler because I, I, I don't know, know if I've ever felt something that like music would be a therapy. I mean, you've yeah. obviously experienced a tragedy beyond like what I ex I've experienced. So maybe those emotions would be more relatable right. to me if I did, but I've just not really experienced that much. And I'm really interested to, to dig deep and learn about the composers to find out if that's true or if like orchestral playing is something that I just enjoy doing because of the camaraderie part of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the, the, that whole Mahler thing, which I, which I, which I shared with you last time, um, so, so it was, it was a, it was a European festival tour. So, um, that would have happened end of August, beginning of September, which is when all the festival tours, uh, occur. So, and then, uh, uh, Ben died the previous, uh, May. So it was like May, June, like July, months three, after. three months, yeah. three months. So, so we're on tour and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, in a pretty fragile place. And, and Anne was with me, my wife, Anne. So we were just, she came on the tour and the whole organization was taking care of us. I mean, they were, we were getting so much love from everybody. And, you know, so like, um, from everybody, it, it was amazing. So I, you know, even the people I don't like were loved me, you know, <laughs> you know, like every, yeah, yeah. everyone in actually, there's really not anybody I don't like in the orchestra. I'd have to actually work on that. But it wasn't just the people you're close yeah, to. So yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. So Andres showed me a lot of love and the, you know, and the management showed me a lot of love and Hulkin was on that tour. He showed me a lot of love. And so we're, we, so the first concert is at Royal Albert hall in London. And, and so it's a very steep stage. So the stage, you know, the first element was the stage manager is one of my really good friends. And so he made sure I was really happy. He put me on the top step and, you know, I had this, like, there was no one in front of me and I had this, you know, just want, he wanted Tom happy, you mm -hmm. know, like he's going to take care of Tom. And, and so I'm, I start playing Andres is conducting this Mahler six and I started playing and, you know, you know, like, like, you know, my lip usually feels good, but sometimes it just feels really good and it felt really good. And, so I was really like, my sound was just like exploding. So I, so I'm playing and, and as I'm playing, I know, you know, I'm really playing too loud and, you know, but I just like, was just, um, your you words know. were raging against the world. Well, that's yeah. Well that I'll get to that. So oh, like, yeah. so I'm playing in like, you know, so, and then I keep doing it and I played with vibrato and I was just like, I was, I was in another world. I wasn't, you know, just so. You know, and and then the then I had um, you know solo bows, and I've never had such ferociously enthusiastic kind of applause, which was kind of overwhelming for me. Um, and uh, and then the next day, you know, Anne was with me, and I don't really read reviews, you know, like because it's kind of for a trumpet player, like trumpet players were always lightning rods for critics from everybody, good and bad, you know, like 
you know, we just are. Everyone everyone has an opinion about the Trump appointment. That's how it feels to me sometimes. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that way, but that's how I feel. Like everyone has an opinion about the Trump appointment. So she's reading reviews and there's a bunch of good reviews and she's like so proud of her little Tommy and you know and, <laughs> and then she gets to a review and go, "Ooh. Oh, oh." And I said, "What? What?" And she, "Oh, no, no, I can't." You know, like it was I got a couple really bad reviews that I didn't know how to play Mahler and I was treating it like a concerto and like, you know, like, you know, it's so selfish. And like, I'm thinking to myself, but what they don't, what these reviewers don't realize is this, this was my therapy. And this is me raging against yeah. the world and raging against whatever God is out there. And just, I'm pissed off and I'm just like, you know, so many emotions coming through in that. So the, there's no way the reviewer knows that. And the thing I'm doing this, I, you know, Andres is okay with it. Orchestra is okay with it. They all, they all support me. Hoken is like hugging, you know, management, you know, and, you know, and I'm pretty sure that if Mahler was alive, he'd say, you know, I'm glad I could help you, Tom, yeah. because Mahler also lost a child. So like, you know, I mean, that's why music is my safe place. That's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, Mahler was my therapist that that day, and so I so I do feel really connected to that music, and you know, not because I'm special or anything, just because like for any of us, it's like, I mean, I think you will feel that, you know. Yeah. It's not like I, it's not like I feel moved every. Con There's a lot of boring concerts, you know. Sure. I don't want to play Beethoven Nine anymore. You know, like I'd <laughs> yeah. like to, you know, cast that so Tommy Siders plays Beethoven Nine. Mm -hmm. It's like a joke in the trumpet section, you know. Like Tom, why do you always get out of Beethoven Nine? Well, because I kind of done it a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just very interesting to me. I mean, you connect with it on such an intense level, you know. Well, part of that is a factor. Well, who knows? I don't know what I was like before we lost, but you know, Ben. Yeah, but it, is, right. it is a life changing. Like nothing is the same. Like I don't get mad about things anymore. You know, like you know. So it's really changed your perspective. Just yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you're a, like a different person? Oh yeah, totally. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Anna and I both feel. I mean, like, it makes sense, right? It just yeah. it's just like so. I remember you said that, yeah, you were saying you don't get mad, like certain things just, yeah, like certain people, you're just like, all right, yeah. like, that's that I mean, person. I mean, I had something happen and I had to like confront somebody just in the last few weeks and then they said, you seem upset about this. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm yeah. not upset about this. You know what I'm upset about? That my son died. Yeah. I'm not upset. You've never seen me upset. Did you say you know? that to them? Yeah. Or that's such a card to play, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so basically I'm just saying, just shut up. Yeah. Leave, me, leave me alone. Yeah. I, you know. That's... Uh, there's a couple of things I've been listening to. Um, she's a researcher, a social worker. Her name is Brene Brown. I don't know if you've heard of her or her work. But there's a couple of things you just touched on that I think are interesting. One is this idea of criticism. And she uh, wrote a book called Rising Strong. And the book is sort of built around this quote by Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the ring, where it says, the credit doesn't go to the critic. The credit goes to the man who's in the ring, blood, you know, and like sweat marred, their faces marred with sweat and blood. And yeah. it's essentially this idea of criticism and people who are critical and that we don't really have to care what people who aren't well, principal weird, trumpet like, in a what, major orchestra what think. A, what a weird profession. Your your job is to, to criticize. It's like, yeah. what a, I mean, I don't understand that. I mean, I can imagine the job being a way to tell people that this thing happened and existed, but it's so weird that, yeah, it's the point is to criticize. Yeah. Well, I, I like some of the old school reviewers back when I first started, like they were like fans and, you know, and they, they really like, you know, Richard Dyer in Boston, like you could be irritated with them for saying something, but like you always, you never doubted that he loved music and he loved the BSO and he loved, and uh, you know, like yeah. that's kind of cool. And now, now the reviewer, he's really interesting because I most, mostly like him when he 
um, like he's writing something on it. He wrote an article on Shostakovich recently, just like, and I thought I read it. I thought, oh, wow, that, that really helps me like understand this music better. It was really interesting. So yeah, yeah. it's a different kind of a thing. So. Sure. No, I, and I think about that a lot for myself because I've sort of transitioned a little bit to not only doing orchestral trumpet playing, but obviously the podcasting and writing blogs. And you get to a point where, and I'm sure this is very applicable to being a musician, um, but it's more real to me right now as because I'm new to all this content creation, which is you get to a point where you feel like you're writing things that you think people will benefit from hearing, but you don't feel like you're writing what you care about. You know, right. and I, I I care about everything I'm writing about, but not everything is a reflection of me at this time right, right now. And I think you can get to that point as a musician too, right? Where you're just like, I'm tired of playing in a way that yeah. maybe I want somebody else to make me play. I want to be true to what I think that yeah. thing should be. And it sounds like to a certain extent, that's what that Mahler performance was. You were like, this is where I'm at right now. Yeah. And I just feel, it's amazing to have that support where you feel like I'm just going to go for it. Yeah, and, and then and really we had, we probably played eight eight concerts of Mahler six on that tour. And after that, it was, it was a more... It, you know, I, I'm still happy with how it all went, but it was a more traditional Mahler yeah, yeah. six. You know, it wasn't that you know crazed one. Yeah, and I don't know. I just appreciate you saying that to me last time. It's just really got like the way you described that. You know, music is your like a safe place for you playing in the orchestra. Yeah, and I, safe I was talking place. to my, I was talking to my. You know, sometimes your mom, you know, gives you the best kind definitely, of advice. Definitely. So I, I, so I went, when when I had this ear thing, and I said, "Mom, like I didn't realize it, but like." music's my safe place now, like since Ben died. And she said, oh, Tommy, music's always been your safe place. Trumpet has always been, oh, and I, really? You know, like, yeah, you know, like it just kind of changed my perspective. Like maybe yeah. that's part of my whole being and my whole life. Well, and then what it makes me feel like is people like you should be in orchestras, you know? I feel like there's people who get into orchestras for all sorts of reasons, but you clearly love it. Yeah. And you clear it clearly brings you joy. And I think the most honest form of that is you just sharing your joy with people. Yeah. And it comes across as very genuine. And uh, like I said, you exist in a space that's a lot of, you know, support. And I just think, yeah, people maybe yeah, we, listening. We have a great organization. There, yeah. There's a lot of support in our organization. Do you think part of that goodness is that financially you guys are doing well? Do you think you'd be the same if it was not as stable? Um. Well, I do think a lot starts at at the top, you know, with yeah. the executive director Mark Volpe and the board. You know, like I think there's a long tradition of in Boston having very strong boards that make very good business decisions. Because a lot of strife from I think orchestras can come from the exasperation yeah. of feeling you have to yeah. fight for. And, you know, the Boston traditionally pays principal or title chairs less than comparable orchestras, but we also have a defined pension. One of the only three left in right. the orchestra world. We have great health benefits. We have, you know. Like, so it makes it up another place. I yeah. I feel that way. Maybe not. Maybe not everyone feels that way, but I feel that way. Yeah, it's just. I mean, so I think it, it becomes this perfect storm, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you have good people in the organization, you're doing well. I mean, yeah. maybe, and then you have people who love what they do yeah. on stage, and then they hire that. a music director who's really positive and wants to put everyone in a position. To so succeed. what's that process like for for? I mean, you guys are going to get the best of the best. How do you determine who is right? You know, how does somebody determine? I like this person this amazing conductor versus this amazing conductor. You know what I mean? Because it's something like, not like technique is going to separate yeah. them at that level. What separates the great conductors for you? Well, f with, as far as Andres, you know, is concerned, like he's, 
he's just a, a natural musician. Mm. Like, I don't even think he knows how he does things he does. He just kind of, he's able to hear, he's able to pace a concert and like intuitively hear, and I'd say he, he's a brilliant guy because he studies really hard. Like he's always, you know, studying scores and, you know, just he, he's a very hard. But he's able to put put a concert together and have a pacing that that and it's easy to play for him. Like you always kind of know, you always kind of know where he's going with with things. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm not explaining it very well. Um, no, he's just. It's like it works. But like, here's an example. So like, he joined. I think I have this right. He. He joined uh, the Latvian National Opera as a trumpet player when he was 18. And then I believe by the time he was like 21 or 22, he was the music director. Wow. Okay? Like, yeah. just think about that. Wow. How does that even happen? Well, it <laughs> happens when you have raging talent. Like, just in, like you just have talent that you, that you cannot hide and it's obvious to everyone. Yeah. And so when he's conducting, he's a very positive person. So you always, you know, like some conductors have, you know, are kind of like um, like old school maestros, you know, negative kind of like getting people to play well by, you know, criticize. You know, like Andres really tries. Sometimes he could criticize a little more. So sometimes I'll go in and I'll ask him, you know, am I too loud? Am I overbalanced? What's the balance like? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Andres, you can, you can tell me I, you know, I suck. You know, like, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> that I, because he's such a nice person. I, and then, um, uh, then, I've, then I've, t- I've actually told him before, you know, Andres, you're going to be really sad on the day you have to fire me because, you know, because he's like, yeah. you know, he's yeah. such a good person. So, you know, <laughs> but not everyone's like it. But I feel like there are more and more people like that that are more positive, like, not, unlike in the old days when I first started out, there were more conductors that took on a like a confrontational type mm-hmm. of a style. Yeah. And I'm just thinking that if there's any, you know, we talk about how times have changed and there's technology and maybe orchestras still are this model of what it was, you know, for however many hundreds of years, I feel like in the way that it should evolve, should just be putting connection with each other, connection with the audience at the forefront. How do you feel like the BSO, I assume you guys do that well because you guys are incredible. So like, how do you feel like the BSO is able to connect with audiences in a way that- Well, we have a a strong tradition of audiences, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's family, there there are families that have had the same seat in Symphony Hall for, you know, three or four generations, you know, so there's a- Long tradition of that, and then when then when we go to Tanglewood, another great tradition, we we draw probably equally from Boston and also from New York because they're they're uh, equal distance to those yeah. two cities. We should so talk we, about we should talk about Tanglewood because I'm I don't know if many maybe uh, some people obviously the people who've been to Tanglewood know, but I think it'd be really interesting for people who don't know to know, although it seems like this paradise and it is what that workload is like. I mean, you kind of described that it was a solo for you and then Copeland three and then Mahler five and, and then quiet, quiet city. And yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, how do you guys manage this insane? I mean, you learn to do it obviously, but yeah, I, I, you know, Andres likes trumpet. So he, he schedules a lot of trumpet. So I, I've been really looking like this season, I'm really looking forward to January because all the heavy trumpet stuff is out of the way, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, cause like we did, you know, uh, Symphony Domestica and we did Poem of Ecstasy and a couple of Shostakovich symphonies that we recorded. It's just like really heavy fall. And now like, and it's interesting to me because like uh, and the, our next tour is going to Asia and, it, and the program is Daphnis, Dvorak, 
eight or nine, I can't remember, can't remember which one, and um, Bartok and Chair for Orchestra. Mm. And I'm, so I'm looking at this tour and go, wow, that's an easy tour. That's easy. You know, like, and like, which is kind of crazy because it's not easy, you know, but it's easy. Just comparatively, yeah. Compared to some of the other tours, you know, that we've done. Um, so I do feel like I have to be, um, I feel like I've uh, overcommitted a little. Sure. How many times, if you guessed, how many times do you think you played Mahler 5? Oh, I have no idea. So how do you, how is it relevant? You know, how does it stay, is it fresh or do you just like, I got to play Mahler 5 again? How do you approach this thing with joy that is like you've done so many times? Like what's, do you have a way or is it just like you are a person that has joy and you no, are? I have, I have like, a, I have, um, I know, um, when I, you know, I always have some kind of um, emotion or feeling that I that that I convey at, at a really simple level, you know. So the opening of Mahler Five is a, a funeral march. Well, you know, I can relate to that. Yeah. So it's it becomes a funeral march. Because it's just a you reality know, of the, the ballerina job. dance is playful and you know, just you know. I, so I have kind of a playful, lighthearted, you know, like it's and it's really simple. It's not complicated for mm -hmm. me. I'm not that. You know, I'm not someone who sits down and studies scores and reads about the, you know, um, it's more in, intuitive. And I think it is a lot with Andres, too. He can study scores and memorize scores and, you know, figure out. But he's, but above, above overriding all of that, he's an intuitive musician, which was. So then, I mean, so that would be very fortunate for you then, right? Yeah. To be so intuitive with how you approach these things. And we're, we're under the assumption that not everybody is going to be that intuitive, right? Yeah, I have no idea. Because then I would think that there's got to... I mean, I, I look at it as like a not particularly a strength of mine. You know, like, mm. you know, um, yeah, it's not intellectually. Sometimes I feel a little lacking, but fortunately I can kind of intuitively come up with a strategy for playing something. No, I, I, I think it's actually, I would consider it a strength of yours because it sound. I mean, regardless of whatever amount of thought or preparation you've put into it, it just sounds like it's sort of a natural outbreath. Well, I, I had a, I had an exchange with, um, Andres in his in the green room. We were playing Shostakovich two, which is not a very commonly played Shostakovich mm -hmm. ever, <laughs> and I think it's the first time we performed in the, in the BSO ever. But um, so the opening it has this theme. You know, it starts off with Happy Birthday, then it turns. So like, you know, so I'm asking. So I have no idea how to play it because I, you know, so I went to Andres's room and his wife Alice was was there, and and um, so I said, so. Andres, how did you know? I don't know how to play this solo. Is this like a tragic, sad solo? He says, "No, I think it's mysterious." I said, "Well, how is it like mysterious? Like you know, like so." He went through all these silly little, and then I turned to Alice and said, um, "You probably don't understand that. This is complicated musician talk." You know, like it's basically <laughs> we're saying, "No, I think it's so mysterious." Well, you don't think it's sad? No, no, no. How about tra no, not tragic? You know, like we're like. Like we went through like five, you know, words, like yeah, yeah. But it's like so. I I came away with a strategy of playing that solo. That's such a, I mean, I 
that's such a cool thing because you're in the space of creation then, right? You're trying, instead yeah. of like a mathematical equation well, of we note did, like in the fall, we also did Shostakovich Piano Concerto with Yuzhan and Wang, which by the way, I was really nervous about because like I'm this big dorky looking <laughs> six foot four, you know, old, bald, fat guy, you know, and then Yuzhan, which is so glamorous and yeah. like, and you know, and, and you know, she comes up to my elbow, you know, and I just, I feel like, and she she walks in because Andres is tall too. She's, oh, I didn't know I was playing with a couple of trees. And I, and I said, <laughs> I said, no, I feel like a big dork next to you, you know, like, but like, uh, we were, but Andres, like, we talked about like the, the slow solo in the second movement and, you know. There's and, a clip of that somewhere online. Really? And, um, um, I say really like, I don't really care because I don't want to hear it, but, um, no. yeah, you know, no. but like, for instance, like, oh, let's, let's, so the second solo, like, again, well, I'm, I'm like, um, is this a sad solo? Is it a lullaby that you're, you know, singing to your child? Is it a tragic song, you know, filled with sorrow? You know, like, how do you want to play that solo? Actually, all those, all those, um, all those work. All yeah, those descriptions right. work. And then, like the the cadenza solo in the last moment, you know, like Andre said, I think it's like a like a drunk. No, no, not a drunk. Like a big uh, drunk. Black bear, you know, Russian. No, no, a big drunk Russian black bear. That's what that solo is. I thought, oh yeah, I like that. Yeah, you know, I, I just like think that. it's cool to talk on and be able to speak, talk in those terms. I think, you know, a lot of experiences turn into like, oh, like this note length or go to this note, which can be beneficial. But to just create like a mental picture and then you have some room of yeah. interpretation. In I've there. heard I think that that's like. Nice. Another one of my heroes, my personal heroes, is Sage Ozawa, and I've heard from conductors who study with him that he he had a, he like simplified the music so he would identify, like in Petrushka or whatever, he would identify the 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 three peaks of the music, the three climax to aim for. Like he would like pace it down to the simplest level, and I I, I like that, yeah. that approach, you know. Like some conductors will micromanage and. Like the first, and I won't name names, but the, the first rehearsal will be the best performance of all. And then over the course of the week, micromanage, like like have a beautiful phrase, the first rehearsal, then the second rehearsal, like you break down that phrase a little bit, then the third rehearsal, you break it down a little bit. So pretty soon you're like playing measure to measure and it kind of ruins the yeah, flow. Right. And the best concert he ever did was when he came in and sight read a concert. And it was amazing. But then when he came back and rehearsed and rehearsed, it's like, oh my God, it's like he's killing this piece. Yeah. You know? um, that thing you described with Seiji Ozawa, that takes, there's a, there's a, there's an amount of technique that's like necessary, right? To yeah. be able to simplify it to that level. Like you have well, to be he, incredibly he, good at what obviously you Obviously he knows, you know. I yeah. Mean, he's, but the same for you, right? You, you have like the technique that allows you maybe, to think that, I actually believe that's a real thing, right? Like, you have the technique that you can basically just think this is what I want, and it just sort of like comes out that way, right? Well, yeah, you have to. You, well, that's yeah. I mean, yeah. that's part. Of, that's how, how I teach. You know, like if yeah. you, you hear it in your head, and you you know, bring it out the bell. And, yeah, I just think. I mean, to to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I think that there are some things that um, that don't necessarily work like that. You yeah, know? we talked about this last time. I thought a lot about it, and I I, I don't have a conclusion. But, yeah, you know, I just think there's uh, unfortunately and. The way I I think about it, and I'm curious for your thoughts. The way I think about it is, there are some things I think that need um, that need 
Like if, say, if it's like an embouchure change or if it's like uh, you articulate, like the way you articulate, if it doesn't sort of naturally go in the spot that it should go or if you develop a bad habit, I think there's like an amount of like massive focus on the physical, right? On the physical thing of like what's actually happening until you can ingrain it enough that you can forget about it. And then yeah. you like, and then it's like, I think it, I hear it and I play it. But I think just for some people, there's this like first step, which is very difficult to sometimes, at least for me too, because I've been set up well. I've had a good embouchure and things have just right. kind of, I mean, I've worked hard, but I, it's a thing where I worked and it got better. I rarely ever hit like a plateau that required me to take 10, 15 steps back, you know? Yeah. And I, I, it sounds like, I don't know if that's similar for you where you just sort of like got better and got better and got well, better. Well, I had, I had, you know, obstacles, you know, you know, but I will say that I, I, I played pretty naturally at a young age mm -hmm. and then I went through a period in undergrad school where I overthought everything. And right. My playing took a bit of a dive. And then when I went back to, then I went down to Northwestern with Mr. Chickowitz, you know, then he kind of brought me back to my natural way of playing, you know, so. But do you think that, again, just sort of playing devil's advocate, do you think that that process, although, the way you present it is like maybe I shouldn't have overthought things. No, I think that's good. I think yeah. that oh, in the long run that helps me. So when I do have problems, you know, I know I don't panic and I know yeah. how to address it. And I know I have to puzzle out the puzzle that's Tom. I have to puzzle out, okay, what's going on here? Right. Now that's short of a f actual physical injury, which is right. not much you can do about that. Yeah, because my time I spent with Barbara was like that, where my undergraduate teacher, I mean, he obviously taught me how to play, you know, and he taught me the physics of playing, but there was a lot of Chickowitz infused yeah, in there. And right. obviously Barbara studied with Chickowitz, but right. there was so much like how to put the puzzle pieces yeah, together yeah. that, you know, I thought a lot. And then uh, when I got, I came and played for you my second year, I feel like I was playing the trumpet better than I've ever played it. But then hearing you, I was like, oh yeah, now I have to put these right. two pieces well, together. Well, yeah, yeah. And, I, and you know, like Barbara is like Chickowitz, a similar kind of legacy with just loads and loads of really terrific young players that they produced. And when I was studying with Chickwitz, I, towards the end, like towards the end of my time with him, like it was in the same lesson, he, he, he it was the same lesson he said it was time for me to go, you know, you need to go, you need to, I'd like you to go um, play for Arnie. I've already talked to Arnie. And I said, Arnie? Who, you know, Arnold Jacobs. Oh, oh Arnold, you know, so yeah. like he sent me along. But when he said, Tom, I think you, I'm really happy where you've come. I feel like this is where I want you to be. And I said, yes, Mr. Chickwitz, but like, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm as interesting as I used to be as a player. And, he, and then he acknowledged, he said, well, that, that, I, I agree that, that that is a problem or a challenge with my style of teaching, but I believe that it's my job to give you the framework of being a musician and give you all the yeah. tools. And it's your job to fill up the middle with the music. And I feel like, um, like I, I do feel like a teacher can't like, I mean, <laughs> you know, I have kids like, you know, that, you know, have so, I have kids that, have so much musical spirit, they may not have the physical tools to bring it, you know, bring it through, bring it forward to the audience. Yeah. Um, and just the opposite people that are physically gifted that have, you know, you know, no, no, really not much music to offer. But I do think that it, you learn how to be a trouble player and then you are a musician, then you have to, then what's whatever's, whatever spark or energy that's inside of you has to, you know, come out somehow. Yeah. Cause I just think that's, it's like you have this inner joy, right? This thing that you're, you're, I love doing this and I want to share it. And then it's like, how do you put the building blocks together yeah, right. so that you can share that with as little interference as possible? Right. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. It's so, so I do have like when I'm playing every day, I, I, I do assign uh, portions of my day and like in the morning is my 
time for a slow warm up and kind of, you know, thinking about analyzing a little bit, a little, a lot of thinking. And then at some point that just goes away and I just, then I'm just playing music after that. If I hit a roadblock, I'll, I'll think of, you know, Chickowitz and, you know, you know, Tom, let's get back to the basics now. So I get back to the base and I'll do a short warm up all over again to kind of find my way again and then continue the day. Yeah, I remember uh, right around that time that I came to Tanglewood my second year. Um, I should talk about this because it's it's funny. There's a number of people who I would say that number is like three. You know, it's not a huge number, but there's a number of people who have you know contacted me over the years or or come in contact with me and, and say they saw those videos online of the ah, master classes yeah, yeah, we did yeah. with Beethoven yeah, five. Yeah. There was one of my funny like one of my favorite memories from that is we were doing Chike Four, the opening of Chike Four. It was me and David Cohen. Yeah. And I was playing first, I'm pretty sure. Okay. There's two takeaways from this that I remember. The one I was playing first and I was playing pretty big, pretty loud, pretty big. And I think it was Ben saying, Ryan, it sounds really great, but it doesn't sound like you have like a, much of a dynamic above what you're doing. You know, maybe it's good to like back <laughs> off or whatever. And then you can, because I don't have a microphone on me, you can hear me mumble something in the video, but oh, really? you can't hear what I said. And what I said was, I still have ugly left. <laughs> he was like, well, that's what I mean. Yeah. And then I remember playing second to David yeah. and I was just trying to play loud, right? I was just trying to play that that octave yeah, yeah, loudly yeah. and Ben was saying, oh, it's not right. And he came in and the way Ben played second on that blew my mind yeah, because it was not loud. It was intense and yeah, focused yeah. and like it filled up the space so much yeah. better. And it just was like a lesson, the, like the best lesson I've ever got in second trumpet playing yeah. without him saying a word. Yeah, you know? yeah he's something. And I, I noticed that in, in classes too, when he slides in, you know, and I remember that when, uh, when I was thinking Chickowitz too, another like a, who, Pride, prided himself on being a second trumpeter. Like I'd play duets with him, and you know, you just it would feel so good playing yeah. next to him. But, but Ben, like I, you know, and Ben's always like he somehow he always comes in like right with me, no matter how messed up I am. And yeah. so I said, "How do you do that?" And he's like, "Don't ask me. Don't ask me. Just let's not talk <laughs> yeah. about it." You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's it, it, so it, that class was very memorable for me. But I remember about that time not that class, but another one that wasn't filmed where we did the opening of Shostakovich five. There was Daphnis, which I was playing third and I had to play the bump. And you put $20 on my stand. Oh, yeah. Do you, you remember the story? Yeah. You put $20 on my was stand. Was it 20? Are you sure I was that, that generous? I'm pretty sure it was, was, a 20. was I that confident you yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. And then you said, <laughs> if you can nail this, you can keep it. And I just blew it big time. And you <laughs> yeah. came over and took the money. That's right. That's, that's, that's real life. That's a yeah. real life lesson. Yeah. Brian. Um, but I remember that class so, so vividly because when you were playing, we first did Sibelius five, the ending of Sibelius five. And it was so easy to follow you, but you weren't moving a muscle, right? Yeah. And I was like, how is that possible? How yeah. is he leading that much with his playing? And then there was um, the opening of Shostakovich 5. And I remember you played on David Cohen's horn and it sounded like his horn was going to explode. There was so much intensity. And then Daphnis was light. And, and I was like, this is like three completely different sound worlds. This yeah. isn't like he's a good trumpet player. It's like the composers in that that set me on this quest. And then I was thinking to myself, well, why didn't I talk about this with Barbara? You know? And then I realized this framework thing, right? Like she set me up to be able to ask that question. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that was some of the best thing I, 
some of the best stuff I ever got from her was the ability to ask those questions and then actually get there. Yeah. Instead of just, we talked about music a whole bunch, but then I just proceeded to a point where I couldn't get any better because I didn't understand how to get better at the right. trumpet. Like she really gave me the ability to understand how to get better yeah. so I could start asking these bigger questions, Yeah. which I think is something she's very, very good at. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like- I would agree. Yeah, getting yeah. that person to have all of the framework and then right. if they're, you know- dedicated enough and want to know they'll go find those answers themselves right, right. so yeah i mean uh we should talk a little bit about again we talked about the schedule of tanglewood but kind of what your feelings are about being able to work with such like like people who are basically ready oh yeah to win yeah. jobs like what's that what's that like f for you um, it used to like, uh, I honestly used to be a little intimidated by it, um, <laughs> because we'd have these great players coming through year after year after year. And, and, uh, and I was younger then, so I was closer to their age, but mm. now, now I really enjoy it when, when, and like, I, I often will tell young players like, I'll, you know, they'll be like, and just having a lesson with me or something and we'll play back and forth. And then I'll say like, you're now it's your job to, you know, play it better than me. And I, and I really love it when they do, yeah, you know, like, yeah. you know, I, I'll tease them about it. And I said, I'll, I'll say like, you know, don't do, don't ever do that again, you know, <laughs> but it's like really cool. Like some of these, some of these players, because it's not so easy that you can just, I mean, yeah, they, they have to, they have to, they have to like, um, sometimes you get young players, really talented players that come to Tangwood and the, this is the, some people like, this is the first time they're around other players that are better than them. Like they, you know, and so they have to grow into that new level of playing and mm -hmm. new level of musicianship. I feel like to a certain extent, I believed that about myself my first year. I felt like I, I remember saying to people like Mike Dabrinsky, I was like, I don't really feel like I, I belong here, you know? And he's like, you sound really good. You're like, you belong here. But because I came from, you know, like I wasn't from a Juilliard yeah, or a Northwestern, right. you know, and, um, and I felt like that was, um, it, it was just ridiculously eye-opening yeah. to see what people my age. Well, I remember your Tango audition because I, I, I kind of like listened to you and I thought this is like me, you know, like, mm. cause you know, I came out of university of Minnesota, this nowhere school. I had really great teachers, but I, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and so, so I, I, I liked your playing right away. Um, and, but I was like doubting myself because you weren't from the big school. I said, okay, I'm going to play it for the committee because we are our brass committee is myself and Gus Sebring and Mike Rollins and Toby Oft, you know, like we, and so we, 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 uh, have a committee that listens to all these tapes and I, and I, so I just said, okay, just listen to this guy. Cause I'm, you know, like, I don't get it. I don't get how he can be so good, you know? And so they listen, they're all like, oh yeah, he's like, we got to have him. And so then that same year, Barbara took you at Rice and then she, at Northwestern, or yeah. at Northwestern and she, she, uh, and then she was emailing me and she, you know, like she, she thought she, she recognized that we both like, like your talent was kind of pretty apparent, kind of stood out. Yeah. So it wasn't just me and it wasn't just her, like, you know, other people. Well, with her, I think one of the things that I, I did, I was very glad I did was the summer before I did a, like this mass, this week long masterclass thing with her. Yeah. So she heard me in between my junior and senior year. And then she heard me in February or something. And I think she heard that there was progress. I see. So she could tell, I think that there was like some, some dry or not yeah. some, that's all I cared about then. Yeah. That's something I would like to talk about you with too, is I was so singularly minded when I was that age and it's led me to this point in my life, but I, there's a lot of sacrifice, right. Of yeah. like personal development and yeah. like knowing who I am and what I'm doing. And that's a lot of what I've learned recently and like what my, like what I'm supposed to be doing in life and 
um, that's not something that I really ever considered when I was that age, right? Yeah. I was sort of just pushed in this direction of you have talent. You said at 19 years old, you want to play in an orchestra, so that's what's going to happen. And because I excelled, I don't think anybody questioned whether or not that was like the right thing for me. Um, like, what are your thoughts on this idea that it seems like uh, orchestras are because maybe because it pays the best or there's the most amount of security or something that this is like sort of the top of where we is, you know, like a trumpet player. If you're an or if you're a classical trumpet player, this sort of seems to be the top of what we can do. And we should be pushing people to strive to this point. But then there's people who get like depressed and, and if they aren't one of the few that make it, then they feel they're failures and they're just freelancers. Yeah, that didn't I, make I, it. yeah I know. It's a tough question. And I, and I, and I, I have struggled this at different times, but, but I, you know, like I had a, had this, um, a student at NEC and, um, his name was Joe Close and, and, uh, and he was like really bright and like one of the, just a great musician and really loved, passionate about music. And, you know, but he, I, I wouldn't say his physical, you know, setup was like, um, super efficient, you know, mm -hmm. um, and good player though, don't get me wrong, very good player. But but he but he wasn't going to go out and he didn't you know he didn't get entangled you know like that's a big. So and then back then we always had the, he was my daughter's age and he, we'd always have this joke you know like when do I meet your daughter Mr. Ross? I said you are never meeting my daughter you know like <laughs> so, so then we we lost track and then he he emailed me a couple of years ago and out of the blue just checking in and I said what have you been up to and he said well. Um, Let's see. I first I went off and I studied with Eric Abier in Paris. You know, I'm sure like Eric probably thought the same. What a great kid! Like, what a smart. You know, like so. Anyway, he did that. And then he, I think he followed his girlfriend. His girlfriend plays in the Portland Symphony, Portland, Oregon. And then and then he said, I might have this story wrong because I've told it so many times. I might be elaborating. So if Joe ever hears this, I'm sorry, Joe. Maybe I got it wrong. But like so, so he said. Then he. Um, then he was kind of, it was like looking for something to do. So he rented an ice cream cart and pushed it around the parks, right? Selling mm -hmm. ice cream. And, because he's like, he has so much personality. It's like, he's, it's like one of those guys that has this infectious personality. And then he said he had an idea for an ice cream dessert. So he invented an ice cream dessert and he got a patent on the ice cream. Then he opened a store. Then he opened another store. Then he opened another store. And then, then he got his dad and his sisters involved on the East Coast. And they opened stores over there. So now he has all these string of stores. And so then he said, now, now what, I'm, what I'm thinking about doing is selling the stores and then and then funding a, a music school in, in underfunded areas of Portland, Oregon. You know, like, you know, like. That's amazing. I'm, I'm thinking, and I said, Joe, like, you know, you're my hero. Like, yeah. you know. And I, I don't think I said this to him, but I was thinking to myself, well, now I wish I would let you meet my daughter. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, but like, I mean, so that kind of stuff happens, you mm -hmm. know, and it's not like, it's why I like teaching at Northwestern right now, because, you know, like the pressure's off me. These are smart kids. Some, you know, some of them are going to do well in music and the, and the others are, should be smart enough to figure out that they should get a double major or they should, you know, Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like the, I always did the university pro, I, you know, I'm uncomfortable with the conservatory. Um, even though I've had some of my favorite students right New England Conservatory. Yeah, it just seems like a lot to ask of an 18 to a 21 yeah, year old to yeah, decide what they should do for the well, rest of their life. Well, that's why this new profile of these schools that pay for like Colburn, Rice, Curtis, you know, like they pay for everything. You know, like 
as a family, if I, if I was, if I had a kid who wanted to be a musician, I don't want them making like a, an enormous financial investment because like, it's a long shot. It's a long shot for any, a long shot for me, a long shot for you, it's a long shot for anybody to make it, you know, like actually make a living in music. Yeah. You know? It's like, you know, playing for the Celtics. Like it's, it's you know, most people, it's not going to happen. But there's so many, my view on, on it is, it's a, it's a couple fold. One, there's so many benefits to learning to do anything at a high level, yeah. right? Whether you do that thing for real or not. Yeah. And so learning to play an instrument at a high level means you learn discipline. It means yeah. you learn problem solving. It means you've learned commitment to a thing. Right. I also think that, uh, so we're talking skills that you would learn taking a music degree seriously, have so many applications, um, especially in the creative problem solving side to any other job you would do. But I also think that there's so many possibilities like, oh, you know, opening music schools in underfunded areas yeah. of Portland. I think this is, this is like a thing that could be do, could be, yeah. excuse me, could be done, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I think when we're in school, because it's not like a thing that is done all the time, we only really see like orchestral track, yeah. teaching track. And if you don't get one of those, right. you're on right. the freelancing track. Yeah. Yeah. But I've just interviewed people who have done such interesting things right. in the freelancing world where you realize if we just like widen the scope of what we thought was possible and looked at music as this thing that we enjoy and we want to share. Yeah. Like I, I think well, it could I have its intended, uh, yeah. per, intended purpose of yeah. what music is supposed to be this communicative yeah. life, like yeah. enriching thing yeah. rather than like, it is my job. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I definitely, you know, feel strongly about the mission statement of music and of work. I believe in orchestras. I feel like they're necessary, just like a, like a, like, you know, Boston Museum of Fine Arts, you know, the Boston Symphony is every bit as important as that. And the, yeah. the, the, and the Red Sox are also important, by the way, you know, like, yeah, like, all of it, for yeah, sure. like, a, like that's what makes cities great. You know, all these different, I think bring people together and people celebrate, you know, just celebrate. And um, so the thing I love about that is that you believe in the mission statement of an orchestra. You love orchestral music. Like it's your safe place, right? I think this is maybe a bold statement, but I think that I got into an orchestra because I thought that that's why people would care about me then. Like if I was principal oh. trumpet of the Boston Symphony, people would want me to do master classes. People would be contacting yeah. me. You know, I felt like that was a way for me to get into doing more stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if I got into it yeah. because I love classical music or orchestral yeah. music and can't imagine doing anything yeah. else. I, I'm not into any of that stuff. I, I, I am interested in like giving back in some way, you know? Sure. And you know, like, I remember like towards the end of my time with Chickowitz, studying with, when I was a student studying with Chickowitz, um, he always took students, he would like, you know, I think he took us all out for, you know, lunch at some point or another. And I remember him driving me over to the Sherman Snack Shop. Was the Sherman Snack Shop at Northwestern when you were there in Evanston? The Sherman Snack Shop? Maybe not. Was it on, I assume it was on Sherman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it could It could be there. Yeah. It was just a breakfast diner. Uh, I don't know. Probably not. I'm so old. Yeah. And, um, yeah, thank you. For I'm just your, a baby, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. So... <laughs> So we were driving over and he asked me about, okay, what are you going to do? And, you know, what about teaching? I said, I don't know if I want to teach Mr. Chickowitz, you know, and just like threw it out. Then he stopped, pulled the car or stopped and he stopped the car. And he looked at me and said, Tom, I would be very disappointed in you if you didn't teach. It's your mm. obligation to pass on what, what you've been taught and keep this tradition going. And then he started driving again. And I, you know, I was like, <laughs> okay. I still, serious yeah, moment, yeah. Yeah, I still remember that. So I do feel like, but then there's a point where you think, okay, because I, you know, you know how how much giving back do I have to do before I've done enough? You know, like I, I you know, it's well, kind of like it's kind of like struggling with um, how long I want to play. Like, yeah, I'm at that point where, you know, so now I have pretty heavy teaching load with NEC and Northwestern and um, 
and I'm doing it with, you know, Dave Bilger and Mike Sachs, and I'm pretty sure they're more devoted teachers than I am. No, you know, like, I, yeah, I, like yeah. I'm trying to like sort that out. Well, um, interesting. But I love the kids. I love that. That's what keeps you going sure. is the, the relationship with the kids. So interestingly though, I'm going to dig a little deeper. Um, you feeling like you have to give back inherently means that like playing in an orchestra would not be the giving back, right? What do you mean? I think it's exactly what giving back is. Well, but you're saying the obligation of passing it on would be the giving back, right? Yeah, helping helping people move forward in life. Yeah, is, is so I back. like yeah. I'm struggling with this, and maybe you can help me. I'm basically struggling with this idea that it feels like playing in an orchestra is about me. You know, it feels like I'm the trumpet player, and well, that, it's like my job. That, that and, is inherent in our, in yeah, our position. So it that, feels, that, you know, the trump. We 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 are. I mean, it's part of being a trumpet player. We are all legends in our own minds because we kind of have to be because you know we don't get to hide like a lot of instruments, yeah. you know, like everything we do is kind of right out there for everyone to, that's what I mean. Where, you know, trumpet players can be kind of a lightning rod yeah. for, for criticism and for positive, you know, kind of uh, observations in, and, it, just because we're always we're just out there, like a trumpet player can probably ruin a concert faster than pretty much anybody <laughs> yeah. else, you know. So it just I don't know. I guess to, to to like sort of put it succinctly, it it feels a little bit like I'm not living like a mission, right? It feels like I'm because I, I don't know if orchestral playing is like my mission in life, and so then I just feel like I'm sitting on stage doing my best to present the music in a way that's wonderful for the audience, yeah. but then I have chances to teach and I have chances to work with people, yeah, and that feels so much more fulfilling and right. joyful, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I mean that's me specifically, yeah. but then I get this like to be perfectly and super vulnerable right now. I feel this anxiety a little bit because there's people who have invested in me as an orchestral trumpet player. And I feel like maybe I'd be letting them down. Maybe they wouldn't care, but you get this feeling that like if you were feeling if you even just feel like this is there's something else out there, you know? I'm not saying I I'll, I'm going to do anything, right? You just wonder like if there's something else out there, you're like letting a whole bunch of people down that like put their time yeah, and let's effort. Yeah, let's let's say you like like let's say you decide to go and like become a full time like professor teacher of the trumpet like you know the the cool thing that would be like your um kind of profile is you already made it as a player mm. so you were making a, cho a a free choice to become a, you know a teacher if that's what you're talking about well it, or just and maybe yeah. that's the yeah. way maybe you feel more fulfilled helping people in that because I like helping young people move forward in life mm -hmm. in a positive way, whether it's trumpet playing or, you know, I have a student now who's taking a break from trumpet playing to work in a restaurant. Cause like he found that the stress of trumpet playing was, he was a really good player, but it, the, the, the singular stress of getting ready to audition for grad schools was like changing his whole approach to the instrument. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It was just too much, you know? So now he's, kind of like talking to restaurant people and kind of like investigating that a little bit. Now all of a sudden his playing is better, but like, I don't really care what he does. I care about him as yeah, a person yeah. and I care about him moving forward in life and having a, having a good life and, you know, having a family if that's what he wants to do and having choices. And that, yeah. that's, that's really cool. I called, so I took the, when George Vosberg retired, the audition that Micah won, I took that audition and I did, I played, I felt like I played really well, but I didn't advance, which is fine. Um, in the warm-up room, I had just started dating Kathleen, like right. maybe two weeks before that. And I already saw that there's something here, right? Right. And I, I called my undergrad teacher, who's a bit of a surrogate dad for me, you know? And so I kind of go to him for like, I just have this life thing. And <laughs> I, I spent like the 45 minutes, an hour 
before my audition talking to him. Oh my gosh. About yeah. what if I don't win another big job? And he was yeah. like, I just want you to be happy. And I was like, well, what if I didn't win like a bigger job or something because of a girl? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I don't know. And then I told him this story of like how I met Kathleen. He had met Kathleen when he was here playing and it was like one of the most touching moments I've ever had where I could hear him tearing up yeah. on the other side of the phone because he's like, it just means the world to me that it's like you clearly are like, there's other things in your life yeah. now. And that's an yeah. amazing thing. And I just feel like when I was a kid, I thought all my whole worth yeah. was wrapped up in being good at the trumpet. Right. And I realized now that, gosh, I'm just so much more than just a trumpet player. Yeah. And I feel like younger kids should hear that, right? Like right. we should be more, I, I feel like not that people didn't invest in me, but that's like the story I was telling myself in my head, whether people thought that or not. Yeah. And I just think being really open about the fact that like developing yourself as a whole person matters just as much as what right. you choose to yeah. invest your time yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. No, obviously your teacher is a teacher for a reason. He loved like, yeah. he, like he's, his investment as in you is, is as a trouble player, but also just definitely for you to move forward in life. And, and I think that's such a unique uh, thing you get to do, especially as a private teacher at an institution yeah. where you're seeing these yeah. kids like grow at this formative time in their lives. And yeah, but that's, I, but I, that's what someone like you does. You look for opportunities to, you know, to give back. Yeah. I just think it's sometimes you feel like the grind should be solely dedicated towards advancing in the particular one thing you decided yeah, you're doing. Yeah. And we all look for that balance. I, I, have, I have friends who, prominent, prominent players who do everything, every master class, every trumpet symposia, every, and I do very little. Yeah. Like you, you have to like drag me kicking and screaming to, you know, like, <laughs> like right now there's this, like uh, Yamaha is trying to present Yamaha artists and recital in Japan. And I just don't want to do it. And, and my buddy Bilger, my, one of my best friends is, oh, come on, do it. Well, we'll hang out. We'll, we'll have dinner together. You know, we'll play some duets. It'll be great. And I'm thinking, why don't you just come to Tanglewood and we can have a beer on the porch? You yeah. know, like that would be much better, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. but here I am, I'm doing it. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm involved. And I think, I think stuff like that is cool because it's an opportunity to, I mean, maybe this particular presenting thing is, one thing, but these, this idea of like doing master classes oh, and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It excites me. It excites me. Well, maybe, yeah. Because A, I don't do it very often. And so I say, oh, but like, it doesn't mean it's not a good thing and yeah. not worthwhile. But I, it, plus, you know, honestly, I'm not that comfortable speak. I'm really comfortable speaking one on one. Mm -hmm. And I've figured, and, you know, but when I was younger, I, like, I had a lot of social anxiety and, and like really bad. Mm -hmm. And so, like, and trumpet actually helped me you know, with all of that, but I, I'm not that comfortable talking in front of groups. I'm really good at talking in front of groups. If I have a trumpet in my hand and I, you know, if I can use self deprecating humor and I can say funny, but the minute I have to talk about something serious, I, I kind of freak out. So I don't love master classes. So, so like when I give the classes at Northwestern, like I say, please, can we all, everyone come really close to me? Cause I, I get really nervous mm. doing this. So you need like, whereas my friend Mike Sachs, he loves it, man. He just like, that's where he really thrives in me. I, it's hard for me. So, yeah, so there was that element. I just don't want to do master classes. You don't, you know? I mean, I know you're very confident in your abilities and, and like who you are, but do you feel like doing a master class? do you feel like it's like a bit of like an imposter syndrome type thing where no, when you no, have to, I don't feel like an imposter, but I do feel like I, I don't, articulate myself oh, well okay. in groups like like being on a committee uh, you know i don't mm -hmm. handle that well at all i just like 
I kind of like get all agitated and I start speaking loud and I get mad at people because they're all idiots, you know, and like, you know, it, it doesn't work for me. So I've learned like my committee work is not, you know, if they want, if they want to give me a task to do, I can do sure. that, you know? Yeah. I, I just, I find that it's so, um, at least personally, there's just so many things that interest me beyond playing trumpet in an orchestra, you know, yeah. but I feel, um, and th this is a story I'm telling myself, right? I don't know if this is true, but that if you're not dedicating like your entire life and all of your time to being prepared for the job and making sure that you're ready, like you're not doing enough. That's like a hell of a lot of judgment you're like imposing upon yourself. Well, right. And I think judgment is like the, I mean, you know, negative judgment, positive jump, it's all equally damaging. Sure. Like it takes you out of the moment of whatever you're doing. So like you're, you're like your last few statements are like, just filled with so much judgment that well, I, I also know. don't, I actually don't actually believe that. Right. I actually don't believe it. I mean, I, I like, that's a thought that crosses I my see. mind, okay. but I don't necessarily like hold that. Right. I just like feel that for a second where it's like, I think there are orchestral musicians out there where this is their entire life. Yeah. yeah. This is like their entire, the way they see themselves is right. I play an orchestral instrument. And so then it's like everything is geared towards the job and like my whole like existence is dedicated to the job. And I just think when you dedicate yourself to something that can't really give back to you in the same way you gave to it, yeah, I think it leaves you in a bad place when you realize like you've dedicated yourself to something and it doesn't have to be a job. It could be money. It could be like sort of fame. You know what I mean? Like I think there's things that we worship and we dedicate ourselves to and make commitments to that don't give it, don't give yeah. us, and we feel then empty right, right. inside. That you makes know? sense. That makes sense. And so it's just trying to find, I'm really obsessed now with just focusing so much on just like, right, trying to be fulfilled and like actually answering the question, what brings me joy rather than like, what do people expect to bring me joy? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think this is just a real thing for people. I think it's a real thing to judge what you should feel through the eyes of what people think you should feel. Yeah. You know, when I, they the Chicago auditions, both when both Chicago auditions opened up, I got like two or three people that sent me the posting that said, your job is open. Seriously. Oh my gosh. Right? That's a lot of pressure. It is, right? And that's how they view, but that's, it's not only pressure. It's like how they view me. They view yeah. me as like, that's the thing I should do. And maybe at one point in my time that was, or in my life, that was true. But like- I went and I did it and I did the best I possibly could, but I didn't advance either time. And I felt like I played really well both times. And so it's like, did I let those people down who decided that maybe they're just trying to be supportive, but yeah. like, it's kind of a, yeah. a really pressure way to my, support my life, somebody. My life goal is always to simplify a little more than that and get rid of all the all the extraneous, useless kind of thoughts. And yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't carry it, right? But yeah, that's stuff yeah. that is there. And but, I we think, all, but I think we all have to work at getting rid of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, that, and sometimes it's you know hard to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who tell themselves a lot of stories, but they keep it, they carry it. You yeah. know, they tell them that, and then that, that's, and then we react out of that. So if you are someone who tries to simplify, I'm going to kind of dig a little bit here. Um, what are ways that you've found where if you are struggling with a thought or an idea? Well, I, it, I think by force of will, we can just stop thinking and like stop judging ourselves. Yeah. You know? Do you like, try to uh, focus on something separate? Is there I like some... To, some I try to focus on, you know, what's in front of me. So yeah, with so like I, the present moment kind yeah, of idea. So, it, you know, if, if it's music, it's a musical statement, you know. And, yeah. And what, the, what that feeling, what that is. Um, you know, I think that... Um, 
And when I was younger and I had, I would have uh, a performance anxiety and I would like be like, okay, I'm not going to get nervous. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this happen to me again. I'm going to, you know, like, and that just made it all worse. Yeah. So now I'm to the point because I'm an old fart. Maybe I'm to the point where I can just like embrace the, the idea of being nervous. So like I'll get a momentary flutter and then I'll, I mean, I'm, then I'm able to just kind of smile and relax and enjoy the moment. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm able to enjoy the moment now. Yeah, I think Sage was Sage was great at that. Like, you could just—he always talked about staying in the moment, staying in the moment, and like you could just watch him, and he had this such an intellect. Oh my god! And like you just feel him like zoom in on this, like he'd get up on the podium, and it would just like all for him close in. So he's like just focused, like. It was an amazing power of concentration. It sounds like Andres is. You were describing him as someone. Andres who's like, is more. He like. It's not intense. It's just you know natural and mm. you know kind of beautiful. And Seiji just like you could like you could you imagine him seeing the whole score in his head. You know, mm. so that's so interesting. I mean, I, I've come across the idea recently that um, striving to do something in the eyes of like if I'm striving to be a good podcaster, in the eyes of others, they may just think. I'm a good podcaster or that I do well. You know what I mean? I, I think striving to be musical on the other side looks like you're being musical. No one knows how hard it is for you to do the thing you're trying to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's, that is so I, true. I think know? it's like, a, so we essentially then don't have to get to a point where we ever feel like we have it figured out. Yeah. And so you're saying like, I'm just going to strive to like embrace my nerves yeah. and then just move through that moment. Yep, like yep, yep. maybe that's difficult for you to do, but it, on the other side, it looks like you're not nervous. Right. Yeah, I think that's a super like powerful thing to realize. You don't have to master your nerves at any point. You just yeah. like, all right, I'll just do my best. I remember I did a thing um, years. This is earlier in my career, and I, I, uh, so like like I it was uh, for Pops, and it was the summon the heroes, the that John Williams solo, and so you know, and, and we have the the Boston Pops has you know the Esplanade celebration. At that time, it was you know there were like a hundred thousand people, you know there and that it was on televised in front of a million or two million people nationally and you know it was all live there were no retakes so so keith lockhart said you know you know um tom would you play the the solo on this and i said "Ooh, that sounds like a lot of pressure Uh, well okay i I, i'll okay i'll do it okay i'll do it okay you know like i had to talk myself into do it and and then like you know a few days go by and then he calls me hey tom would you would you be willing to stand Oh man, Keith, come on! I don't want to stand. Stand? Oh, okay, I'll stand. And then a few more days go by. I said, Tom, you know you're gonna, you know, you're gonna. Would you be willing to stand in front of the orchestra? No, no way. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. You know, like. And then it was like, oh, Tom, and the 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 camera people, they the producer wants it memorized. Can you memorize it? You oh, know, like. Just, and then, oh, and by the way, standing in front. I mean, actually, we want you way up front. You know, like. So, like, ended up being this like outrageously like crazy moment. So I'm, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready to play. And right before me is um, a Lincoln portrait and Peter Jennings is brought, is like narrating. And mm. like, so he was, you know, like what, what he was like, uh, the, which network news was he? I can't remember. Like ABC network news, the, the something an- like that. Yeah. The anchor man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so he and he smoked. So he's backstage, and he's like, he's smoking cigarettes, cigarette after cigarette. I've seen. And he's like looking around. He sees me. He say, hey, 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 are you nervous? <laughs> and I said, 
oh yeah, I'm like peeing my pants. Like I'm so nervous. He said, yeah, me too. And then he like <laughs> went on stage and did this great job. I thought, wow, even Peter Jennings nervous. I feel better now. Like yeah. it was like almost like, wow, you know, like Peter's nervous too. Like this is like this famous like anchor man, you know? Yeah. So, it, so it was kind of a moment for me. Like, sure. wow, you know, like. I, everyone, yeah, I, everyone gets nervous. I think it's, yeah, I think- We all get nervous. There's like comfort in numbers, right? I was that, telling you in the class, I was teaching at Northwestern last week and like, and I'm and I and I'm kind of on vacation, so I wasn't really playing that much, you know? And so then there was a kid and I was demonstrating and I, I actually had flutters of nerves before I demonstrated because I really wanted to play well. You know, like, mm. and you realize, well, how silly is that? Sure. You know, like, well, that's the most, but like- so I was basically, I was telling the class, the following class, it, like, you know, we all get nervous yeah. and we all just, you know, you just have to expect it. It's just part of the package. Do you feel that playing in the Boston Symphony is more nerve wracking than playing in St. Paul? Um, Like, do you think the no, bigger the job, I, I there's more it, pressure? I don't think it. Because you hear people say that, right? Like, I oh, I'm in my job and I'm good, but... Oh, there's got to be so much more pressure. Yeah, I don't. In. I don't believe that. I think it's a like a personal journey. Like, yeah, yeah. Just like as I get older, I'm able to handle it. I don't think it's more on you know, you know. When I was in St. Paul, like you know, Pika Zuckerman was you know, was the one that hired me. You know, like, he's a pretty serious musician. <laughs> so, yeah. So I don't feel that way at all. I feel like um, I feel like I just my nerve. I got. I was able to handle it better as I got older. Yeah, and what so, you talked about the personal journey, I think that's the most important. And then, part. like you know, now at my age, I kind of look forward to the day where I don't have to deal with you know yeah. anxiety and stress. You know, and, ex- and the the hardest thing right now are is I have to remove the element of like expectations. Like people expect, you know, me to sound a certain way, and then you know, then that just that, I hate that feeling where, like, you yeah. Know, well, it's unfair. It's unfair. Yeah, it's unfair because you're a human, you yeah, know. And, yeah. I mean, but you have sort of set up the expectation that you're going to sound awesome, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of your fault. Yeah. But when I don't sound awesome, like like the when my ears, my when my right ear went at Tanglewood, you know, the concert was Petrushka and Gershwin. I didn't sound very mm. good, and I was freaking. I was like, "Oh wow, great! Is this the new normal for me? Because if this is the new normal, you know, like it's probably not bad enough to get fired. But if this is it's not the, good enough for you, yeah. Though. If this is the new normal, I am out of here. Yeah, you know, I'm done. You know, like I, yeah. I, I will not let this happen. Like that's where my head space was back then, and that's kind of when I saw you. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I just think it's like this sort of personal journey idea is not not feeling like I have to get to a place and then I'm good. And I, I just feel like I'm sort of uniquely qual- one of the few, or maybe not few. I, we don't people don't talk about it very often, but one of the people that are uniquely qualified to talk about it because I like got a job, felt like I got it, yeah. and then that job was taken away from me. Right. And so it's like okay, maybe a job's not the end of the of the line, so to speak. And Allowing yourself, I think it's like Tom Siders talked about this in his interview. He's just super open. He's like, I didn't have any idea what I was doing in the oh, first no. couple of years yeah, yeah. that I was there. And and I think that people see that somebody one day before their audition, it's good yeah, to go. And yeah. then they win their audition and all of a sudden they've got yeah. everything figured out and they're the exact same player. Yeah. And now we have to figure out what it is to be on the job and how to serve the orchestra that you're in. But you're continuing to grow. And Tom has continued to grow every year in the orchestra. But yeah, yeah, I tell people about his audition. His audition was really cool because, um, you know, I was sitting, I don't don't remember what round it was. It probably wasn't the first round because Levine wouldn't have been involved yet. So maybe it was semifinal round and and, uh, Levine's sitting next to me. 
and he's like his head is down on his chest you know he's kind of he's it sounds like he's sleeping you mm-hmm. know so and then player play player after player after player comes through and plays and plays and plays and it, i'm still looking over and like i mean is the maestro i'm thinking to myself is the maestro sleeping like is he awake or is he paying attention you know and player after player goes by all day long and then Siders comes on and he plays Ravel piano concerto and 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 Jimmy's head like just bounced up. Oh, who's that? You know, like <laughs> oh he's listening and yeah, he's just yeah. waiting for someone just to like rivet him. And which that's what Tom did right there. Probably like, just won the job right there. Yeah, oh, totally just yeah. won the job right there. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is something we didn't talk about last time. I'm curious for your thoughts. You. Ben Wright, the second trumpet, Tom Siders, the associate principal, yep. and then Mike is utility. third utility, right? Yeah. Um, you guys all have very, I mean, you're all very, very, very accomplished players, but you have different styles, right? I wouldn't yeah. say that you guys play the same as no. each other. And of course, you try to, everyone's trying to match you to the best of their ability, but there is a different, how do you feel? But you guys sound so good together. Like, how does this work? How does it not be this sort of like all unified, melded thing, yet it works? And do you like that it's, I mean, the suit you hired everybody, but you know, there's this idea that you're all bringing something slightly unique to the table and it gives it personality, but then there's like a section, there shouldn't be personality. Like how do you, as a principal, manage, because I feel like you do it very well. How do you manage like letting people have their their style, but also then fitting in or do they just do it and it just works? Well, I think you're right. I was on the committees and I hired uh, pretty much everybody, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, in the back row, especially. And, um, that's a really good question because I don't really feel like I do much, you know. Um, I it, generally I like since I was a section player, I do like to have more of a democratic section. Like so, um, it might have even been you. Someone I was talking to recently. I thought it was you where you you uh, where I said you know well everyone knows that the section it's not my section. It's you know. It's, Ben Wright's section. Was that you? I think it was you. That we, I don't know that, if you said Ben both, Wright's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's Ben Wright's. Because, you know, Ben's very vocal in the section, you know, yeah. like, and, and, and um, but he's a really great musician. So, but, you know, and, and Tom and Mike don't say a lot to me because they're, they're younger and, you know, they were all fellows when I was in the orchestra, all three of them. Um, they're all Tangwood, former Tangwood fellows. So, Tom, and Tom and Mike are both such, but they're, they're great musicians, you know. So a lot of times they'll go through Ben, but I, I do, tr- you know, whether I accomplish it or not, I try to think of it as more of a democratic sure. kind of a section, but knowing that I play at the chair, you know, so when I first joined the B, I guess I'm rambling a lot because I'm struggling with your question. But um, when I first joined the orchestra, um, Roger Voizan, he was always very involved with, you know, players in the BSO. He, he always was around. And so he came up and he talked to me when I he said, so, for some reason, he got in the subject of respecting the, like you have to respect the position of the conductor. You have to respect the podium. You may not respect the conductor, mm-hmm. but you have to respect the position. And it's the same, and you have to respect, you know, the first horn position. You may not respect the first horn player, but you have to respect the position, you know. And and so, where am I going with this? So I feel like I know that I am playing the position yeah. of the principal, and I and. You know, so and someone has to set a style, um, but I but and they I just ha- do their jobs and well. they do yeah. their jobs really well, and they have really great ears and they're great musicians, and 
um, and the same with the trombones. But it's not that like Toby and my friend Toby and I had a conversation after we did Shostakovich Twelve. Shostakovich Twelve is brutal. It's a brutal piece. I don't, yeah, I don't no know. No one it. knows it. You yeah. know, we're because we're down. We're recording all the Shostakovich symphonies. We're down to these the ones that no one ever does, and for a good reason. And so. In, in my in my thirty years in an orchestra, I I don't think I've ever used an assistant, right? So in Shostakovich twelve, not only did I use an assistant, but Ben and Mike used an assistant. Like we had two assistants. It was so brutal. Oh my! Like as the first rehearsal, I just turned the guys, and I'm, I'm right away. I'm thinking I'm getting old, you know. Like as uh, that's that's where I'm at in my life, you know. I was like, I can't get through this, guys. I can't do this. I just and then Mike Martin, who has endless chops, says. Oh, I I put my horn down. I can't do it either. You know, like <laughs> I quit like five minutes. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, oh thank God. <laughs> but like, um, where am I? Where the heck am I going with all this? Uh, assistance and Shostakovich twelve is brutal. They do they do their job well. Toby. Oh yeah. So after after the uh, after we're all done, Toby said, you know, Tom, I you know, I was kind of thinking you were playing too loud in Shostakovich twelve, and it's like, and we have we have that kind of relationship. You th- I said, you think you know, like because. I asked Andres and he didn't think so at all. And then, then he said, well, I, I don't know. Like, I just thought, I, I just thought it was over the top. And then, then I'm thinking, okay, maybe, but like, it's kind of a brutal piece. Isn't it kind of supposed to be over the top? You know, like, so it's a discussion we have to have, even though in the moment I'm playing first trumpet yeah. and it is what it is. But after the moment or, or in, you know, after the rehearsal or whatever, there, there has to be a conversation. And sometimes like I can get, you know, like any of us, when someone calls us out on something, you can get a little like, well, what the heck do you mean? Oh yeah. Well, well heck with you, you know, screw right. you, man. You know, like, but it's not like I can't do that because Toby is my buddy. So I, right. and he's really thoughtful, you know, so I have to, th- and I think in the end, I end up convincing him that, okay, maybe it needed to be that loud. <laughs> but, right. But I, I don't, but that's the thing about being a trouble person is you feel like you're a lightning rod of all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And like, you know, um, yeah, everybody can, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, you hear stuff through the grapevine, you know, yeah. of what, and it's, and it's, it's like nobody really know. I mean, maybe the principal horn probably has a pretty decent idea because they're out there too with even more solos I would think than so. we have. Yeah, I would think but it's so. such a unique thing of, even on things that it's not a solo. But in the brass tutti spots, it's the first trumpet, yeah. not the first horn. And, but you, you know? can just hear. Like J- Jamie always said like a, a brass section sound is, is uh, Jamie, our principal horn player, um, the, 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 the brat the sound of the brass section is he believes is dictated by the principal trumpet player. Yeah, yeah. That's would, where the sound comes from. Yeah. You know. And so it's just yeah, it's so interesting because everything it's just all out there, you know. Everything's yeah. out there. And um you said something about maybe about them being fellows and it made me think it might be kind of cool for the trumpet players listening right now. Uh if you wanted to talk a little bit about what you and the committee look for. Uh, when when like deciding about who comes to Tanglewood, like what kinds of things are you looking for? Um, what things separate other players? Sort of just like a discussion about. I mean, obviously this could apply to the PSO. Well, you have as to well. like realize that you know, like if like the okay. I was talking to a friend in another orchestra uh, recently, and, and we were talking about styles. And I said, all you need to know about the Boston Symphony, like kind of general style, listen to a couple of Armando Catala recordings. You know, mm-hmm. like. It's kind of like that's kind of the the background, like maybe not the great Germanic tradition of totally blended instruments, but more there's a it has a a different take on it, you know. Um, so we like players that are have a little bit of an individual singing style. Mm-hmm. So if someone has 
you know, so if someone needs work with rhythm, pitch and rhythm and stuff like that, like we don't really care quite as much because we are really taken up by an individual singing style, right? Yeah. So we always pick that kind of player. And and we recently, like a few years ago, there was a player um, and he auditioned many, many times at Tanguid, super solid player, perfect, you know, and I never took him because I thought it was kind of boring, you know. So then... He played an audition. It's like, here he is again. He's, you know, so I, I was talking to Mike Martin. I said, I don't know, like, I don't know what to do with this guy. He's really good, but it just doesn't do anything. And he said, you know, he said, you know, Tom, you know how we always take the player that's really sparkly, but maybe needs work on like fundamental kind of stuff. Maybe we should look at this just the opposite. We're going to take the player that's perfect, fundamental player. Let's see if we can help him, you know, get a sparkle in there. And that's what we did. And mm. it kind of worked, you know, oh, cool, so, cool. you know, like, you know, so I don't know. So I do. So I have picked players that I find are really compelling singers. Um, they get to Tanglewood and then I'm thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this. And, and, but I still like their playing. And then maybe they come only one year and I don't have them back. But then later I hear they get a job and they do really well. Sure. It's like, well, I wasn't totally right. wrong. Totally you know, wrong. Like, yeah, yeah. He, other people thought this person was a really interesting player. So um, yeah. it's, it's, you know, I'm going to miss, you know, I'm going to, you know, but yeah, um, I mean, it's pretty much everyone I take, I have a reason for liking them. Sure. I, I imagine the amount of auditions you hear and the length of time yeah. you've been doing it. Yeah, and it. the way we do it, and I say I take it, we do it as a committee. So how it works is like we will listen to 100, you know, now it's DVDs. It used to be live auditions, which I thought was really cool. We used to, but now it's all live DVDs. So we'll have a proctor, a B, we'll have a Tagwood manager, and then a, like a BSO player or a retired player there also and um that was peter chapman for me yeah gosh yeah. people well, love peter peter chapman. is awesome Pe everyone loves peter chapman <laughs> um so um it's not to love tom siders has a great peter chapman imitation yeah um so uh for those sorry for those that don't know peter chapman used to play second trumpet right 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 in the boston symphony yeah and he had a he uh was around there forever and had and knew like from the early '60s, he was in Boston. And yeah, so he had all the great stories about Gatala and Voisin and Rolf Smedvig, and you know, oh, it's pretty cool. So, just for a little bit of yeah con uh, perspective um, or whatever. Uh, let's see. So, uh, I forgot what I was saying. DVDs. Oh yeah. So like so I so I'll listen to like a hundred DVDs, like live auditions, and then then I'll yeah. You know, the, the 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 positive part of DVDs is I could. I can set up rounds. So I'll listen to like three or four rounds and then I'll come up with anywhere from eight to 12 players um, and present it to the committee. And Oh, so you kind of whittle it down to a quote final yeah, and round. I'll, and, I'm, and, and in my mind, I kind of have them ranked. I you know, like one through, you mm -hmm. know, 10, whatever. Um, but I, but I want it, but the committee has to weigh in on it. That way we keep like, we that way we kind of just check, keep each other in check. Like, yeah, yeah. like, like I'm almost harder on people I know, like students, I, you know, you know, and then some people may be more forgiving of their own students. You know? Sure, so sure. We, so it's it's a way for us to check in with each other. Oh, I think that's amazing. Yeah. I'm, so I, I so I, I have a say in a lot of who the troll players are, but also to a lesser extent with the mm. horn, trombone, and tuba players. And it's just cool that you know what's going on. It's not this separate thing, but you guys have this. I yeah. mean, not only do your friendships with each other enrich what you do on stage, but it also enriches like our experience yeah. because Toby and Mike 
they know who I am too. Right. You know, right. it's not just, right. it's just, I'm just with you and to develop an amount of yeah. a relationship. And just with, so you know, everyone has strong opinions about trumpet players, you know, like, yeah, I'm sure like they all, like, it's amazing. You know, yeah. like, you know, you know. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. So, well, for anyone, any trumpet players out there listening, um, it sounds like the way to go is to play perfectly in time, perfectly in tune and be the best musician of all of them. <laughs> Simple, right? That's all you got to do. <laughs> all you got to do, man. <laughs> Um, but if you have to, yeah, I, I and I, I know my, in my case when I auditioned, there was a lot of uh, rough around the edges. Yeah, but the, but you had a voice yeah. that that was compelling that I heard. Obviously, Barbara heard it. Like mm-hmm. you know, so it was it wasn't rocket science. It's like you yeah. know, and it just comes down to as like, simple as this. I like that player. You know, like yeah. uh, you and know, and that's probably how it goes in a regular know, audition too. You know, like you a, know, like uh, sometimes people ask me for comments, and I and I'll look at my comments. Yeah, I like that. I don't like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, that's what it boils down to, though. It does, though. Especially when you're listening then in a concert, you know? Like, that's yeah. how we've talked about this before. Uh, maybe we should elaborate on it. I, I think true art, you have to make a choice. Like, something that is making a statement, like, say, Van Gogh, right? Yeah. Or not Van Gogh, Picasso, sorry. In the later period where everything looks crazy. Yeah. It's like you either like that and you're moved by it or you don't care for it at all. There's yeah. no one who looks at something like that and says, nah, that's like fine. Yeah. You know, you either think I like it or I don't. Yeah. And I think no. true art of anything is making a statement and you're going to decide, I really I like that. That means something to me or I don't care for that too yeah. much. And yeah. I think the right in the middle thing is where you're not yet, you haven't yet committed to what you want to say or what you think yeah. it should yeah. be. Or like when I talk to kids, students about this like you know so as a as a player like you want to you okay let's say as a player your your rhythm is pretty good but not quite like you know like not in the pocket so as a listener i'll be listening to this and i won't be saying oh that rhythm is not quite i'll be just like yeah it doesn't like something's something's off something's a little off i don't really doesn't do it you know like yeah you know so it's like so as a player you have to be really you have to micromanage all this stuff but but it has to be presented in a way that the listener is just hearing something they enjoy hearing. Yeah, and and I think 90% of music made is perfect time, perfect intonation, right? Like you can't really make compelling music with bad time and that's, the, that's, the phrase doesn't come that's out. That's the framework. To, yeah, that, right, that exactly. Chick, that Chickwood's always And so about. like your personality is that last five or 10%, not the 80%. Yeah, I don't know, yeah, I don't know what the percentage well, is. Well, you know what you, I mean though. It's like a smaller yeah. portion yeah. adds to the framework, which is yeah. super, super After important. all your preparation is done, after you micromanage the heck out of it and you have everything right where it needs to be, then you just, you hear it and you play it. Right, absolutely. Um, to, 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 finish this interview, uh, I would love to, there's uh, a section in the talent code. I don't know if you've read that book or not. No, um, no. There's a section in there uh, about, there's three sections. One is about deep practice. One's about ignition. And one is about master uh, teaching or coaching okay. and how all three of these things are imperative uh, and integral and in mastery of an instrument. And so, um, we didn't talk much about practicing because, uh, I mean, we could dig into that, but maybe that's for a different interview. And we've talked about like your teachers, like Chickowitz. And I imagine, I remember you saying you felt like, I think it was Voizan was the first time you felt like you had like a musical coach Yeah, or he actually used like an old French, the French style of French yeah. school applying. And he actually taught me how to play a phrase instead of just intuitively playing a phrase, which yeah. I did okay intuitively, but it was kind of nice to know how to, how to build a phrase. 
Okay. I didn't really, I never really knew that before. We're going to set that aside. Instead maybe... of just like singing and playing, like Jacobs yeah. was like song and wind, song yeah. and wind, song and wind. Well, Voizan said, well, this is how you make the song happen, you know? Like, okay. We're going to set pretty that cool. aside. And it's pretty cool. Talk actually. about that because that's a probably a huge topic. I want to focus on the ignition to kind of touch just because you just have so much joy seemingly playing the instrument, playing in an orchestra. I want to know what brought you to the trumpet and maybe orchestral playing in general and what you feel like ignition is like you saw somebody play the trumpet and you were like, that's what I want to do. Or you saw a concert and you thought that's what I want to do. Or is there any sort of moment or moments in your life that you feel like are defining in your decision to play the trumpet, to be an orchestral musician or things like that? Well, yeah, I, I sure there are. I mean, like, you know, when when I was when I was like a, a, a fifth grader, or four, you know, you know, I I was um, so incredibly shy that you know the school district brought a psychologist to talk to me because they thought I had learning disabilities because I was so shy. I refused to talk. I didn't talk. I had like all this social anxiety and like. And then when the when the notices came out to play musical instruments, you know, I I threw the notice away because I was didn't want to do it. And then my mom found out, and I had to go do it. And then, and the the trumpet actually, like with a trumpet, you can't be shy. Right. You have to. You kind of have. So I kind of created a trumpet personality, and I was and I found out early on that it came easier to me than other kids. Um, and so I played that. That's why my mom says it was always my safe place because it kind of brought me out. And then. Then I notice I'm getting positive attention from people. Then I notice girls are liking me, you know. And then pretty soon, I'm this, I'm, I'm the trouble personality that I created because my personality. And I'm then I'm more outgoing and kind of you know, you know, forceful. But like I always had like when I was younger, like I didn't want to use a vibrato because I thought it showed too much of myself. Mm. Like I, that's, that's too personal. I can't do that. You know, like I, I, I was, I was always connected to that. So I had to like, so like when I played this concerto last July and Mark Gould was in the audience and Mark Gould's like just a, you know, super brilliant guy. And he was saying, you know, in that, that's the slow movement. You need to bring it out more time. You just like, it's so great, but just really let go. And I said, well, Mark, you don't, you don't understand. Like and I told him like, when I was young, I, I didn't want to use a vibrato. So for me to like really bring, I, I have to like really get myself into a state of mind where I'm it like totally trusting everybody that I can show, you know, like, yeah. so like, so trumpet helped me, you know, do that to the point then where in London, I could grieve in front of 6,000 people, wow. you know? So that, so it's always been kind of important to me, even though I didn't realize it at the time until my mom says always been your safe place. So that's number one, right? So yeah. it's like, it's something I needed just for me, you know, sure, as a person. Sure. Then the time I just, you know, then when I was a freshman in college and they said, oh, this for tango, and I got into tango when I was 18. I didn't even know you could make a living in music. You know, I had a B flat trumpet and I bought a C trumpet to play the audition. I bought a piccolo before I got to tango. Like, and I got to tango and I see all these people that are trying to make a living in music. And that was, so tango had changed my life, just educating me that I could actually make a living playing the trumpet. Oh my God. Oh my gosh! Are you crazy? Yeah, I can wow. make a living doing. It? I had no idea. So and now you, know, you spend your summers making a living. That's why Tangwood. Yeah, and that's why Tangwood is so important to me. Gosh. Why I'm so involved at Tangwood. Sometimes, sometimes I like uh, fantasize about not being so involved at Tangwood and just having a really great summer. But you know, but the kids are. Gr I love. I love. Yeah. I love well, maybe seeing someday, the kids. Yeah. Maybe someday. Gosh, that's that's power. That's just powerful to me. You know, especially that the part about 
the trumpet helping you exist, have a place and a way to exist, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, as sort of an identity. But I don't see you as someone who identifies as a trumpet player, you yeah, know? Right. I know you go like fishing and you yeah. like you, you'll get away and you can say, oh, I'm like not playing very much because I'm on vacation. Right. Clearly you're like, you have a life outside. Yeah, I feel of like that. there are p- prominent players that have, that are more devoted to trumpet than I am, but um, I'm not sure there's anybody that trumpet is as or that trumpet's more important to them than it is to me. Yeah, know? no, I, so. I that sounds like it could be the case. So, Tom, thank you so much. This My is pleasure. awesome. Yep. Um, I don't know if there's a way that people, if people are like, oh, that was such a wonderful episode. It me- meant so much to me, and they want to tell you that. Is there a way that they could tell you that, or should they email me and then they, I can email you? They could email you and then you can All email right. me. So instead of emailing me, you can just find me at that'snotspit.com or on Facebook and Instagram uh, at at that's not spit. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left uh, a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the podcast. Um, what I'll share it on social media. If you uh, think it was cool and other people should know about it, that helps out a lot too. I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most importantly, uh, I would like to thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.